0: Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. What do you believe? What do you really believe? What do you believe about God? And what do you believe about yourself? And what do you believe about Life, Not just on the surface, but but deep down, what is it that you really believe? I believe that that actually what we believe is incredibly important in our lives because what we believe has a very powerful influence on our life. And so for the next four Sundays, we're looking at believe. And we're not going to go through a list of literally everything we believe. But I want to start to stir your thinking about what is it that you believe? Like deep down, what is it that you believe about God? And what is it that you believe about yourself? And what is it that you believe about life? Because what you believe has an incredibly powerful influence on your life. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27, this is what the Bible says. It says, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Verse 28, And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Kind of similar to what Graham was sharing this morning. Do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said, Yes, Lord. Then he, Jesus, touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. Notice that. According to your faith, according to what you believe, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened. I love the way that the Message Bible puts that phrase. The Message Bible puts it like this. Become what you believe. Here's the truth. What happens to you is not nearly as important as what you believe happens to you in life. And let, let me put that a different way. That what you believe happens to you is actually more powerful than what actually happens to you. And so what do you believe? Well, all of life begins with revelation, right? Revelation is, is what I believe, about God and about myself and and about life. And, And so all of life begins with revelation. That's what you believe. And your revelation determines your expectation. That's logical, isn't it? That what you believe informs your expectation. If I believe that you love me, then I would expect that when I walk into the room, you smile, right? If I believe that I'm going to an event that's free to the public, then I would expect not to have to reach for my wallet when I come to the entrance, Right, because what I believe, right, revelation determines my expectation. And so, what you expect then creates a lens or a filter through which you view everything in life that happens. And so, your view of life, not as it is, but but actually through the lens of your expectation. Either met or unmet, we begin to filter our life first through our beliefs, but those beliefs inform our expectations, and then our expectations become the filter through which we process all of life. And so your view of life is not as it is necessarily, but actually through the lens of your expectation, which is why what you believe is so incredibly important. Let me give you a really practical right, and hypothetical situation. I believe everybody at work hates me. It's a hypothetical situation, guys. Hypothetical, right? I believe everyone at work hates me, right? That's my belief. And so tomorrow, I go into the office, and I expect them to be rude. I expect them to be discourteous, and I expect them to be unfriendly. Why do I expect that? Because I believe that everybody in the office hates me, right? And so tomorrow morning, I go into the office, and there are three of my colleagues. And they're standing in the corner right? And they're speaking with hushed tones and they're covering their mouths. And as I walk into the room, they begin to laugh. Well, my revelation, what I believe, determines my expectation, what I'm expecting. And I view what's happening in that room, not as it is, but through the filter of what I expect it to be. And so immediately I conclude, they must be talking about me. I mean, otherwise, why would they be off in one corner? And why would they be whispering with hushed tones? And and why would they be covering their mouths as they talk? And they laugh precisely as I walked into the room. See, I knew it. They hate me, and this proves it. I knew they hated me, and this proves it. And so for the rest of the day, I'm going to live according to that belief. And so for the rest of the day, I'm going to sit at the other end of the office. And I'm not going to make eye contact with them. And if they do try to engage me in conversation, I'm going to be short and curt. I'm not behaving as a result of what's actually happened. I'm actually behaving as a result of what I believe. What actually happened is that the three of them had done something very stupid over the weekend, and they were so embarrassed by it, they didn't want anyone else in the office to find out. And so they were standing in one corner, and they were speaking with hushed tones, and they're covering their mouth, embarrassed that anyone else in the office might hear it. The fact that they laughed when I walked in was pure coincidence. But I'm not behaving simply according to the information, I'm behaving according to the information as it comes to me, filtered through my expectation. Your revelation, what you believe, determines your expectation. That expectation then becomes the filter through which you filter all of life's events. And so your expectation is what you're filtering all this information through. Here's the result. That you end up with a realization of what you always believed. Ultimately, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because those three colleagues start to think to themselves, what's wrong with that guy? I mean, all day he's been looking at us with this sour look on his face. He doesn't talk to us. He sits at the other end of the office. I mean, he's not very friendly, is he? Like, what's up with that guy? He's not very likable, is he? And so they decide at the end of the day, they don't really want to be my friend. They don't really like me. And now what I've believed has been realized. But it has nothing to do with what actually happened, but rather what I always believed, which is why what you believe is so incredibly important. That's a silly um, example of that, but the truth is we do that in lots of areas of life. That there's some of the things we believe about God, things happen in our life. We said, see, we knew God was like that. I knew that God was angry. That's why this is happening to me. I knew that God was distant. That's why I can't hear him when I pray. I knew that God was like, I knew we begin to live out of our beliefs because our beliefs become the filter for all of our expectations. And so that's why the scripture says, you become as you believe, according to your faith, according to what you believe, let it be done to you. Think of some biblical examples. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 15 about two sons, a younger son, the prodigal, and an older brother as well. And they believe two totally different things about their father. The younger brother believes that that dad's merciful and that dad's loving. That that even if I was to go and waste my life or or disown my own family, that, that in a moment, if I was to turn and come back to my dad, he's so gracious and he's so merciful, that he would extend that grace and that mercy towards me. And in the end, that's what he receives in his life. That's his belief. That's what he expects of his dad. And it's true. But the older brother has a totally different belief about his father. The older brother believes you've got to earn your stripes in this family. And whether or not you're accepted or not has everything to do with how you behave and how you live your life. And so ultimately, when the younger brother comes back and dad receives him, the older brother is upset and he tells us why. He says, because dad, I've never disobeyed you. And I've been good my whole life and I've never done anything wrong. And now you're showing all this love to my brother. What he's actually revealing is not something about his father, he's revealing something about himself. What he believed about his father. Think about another parable that Jesus tells. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable of the talents, where the master has three servants and he entrusts resource to all three servants. What were the first two servants? They believe that the boss is a go-getter. They believe that the boss wants to see increase and he just wants us to have a go. And so they take the five talents and the, and the, the talents of, and, they, and they begin to use them. And, and, and as they begin to work them and have a go, and then, then the master comes back. And when he sees, they say, Hey, look, we, we took what you've given us and we've doubled it. And the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you master over a whole lot of things. But the last servant believed the master to be a cruel man. And so, out of fear, he doesn't do anything with his talent, he hides it in the ground. And when the master comes back, the master says, what, what did you do with what I gave you? He said, well, I, I knew you. What is he trying to say? I always believed that you were a hard man. The comment is actually not about the master. The comment is actually about the servant and what he believes. I believed you to be a hard man, reaping where you haven't. So, and, so, and so out of fear, I hid it in the ground. See, I'm returning to you. What was yours? As he kind of cowers, right? Well, what does the master say? He says, you wicked and lazy servant, Right? And the servant thinks, see, I knew you were like that. Right? Why? The difference between the other two and the last one was actually not the master or his countenance. It was actually what they believed about the master that made all the difference. Can you see how powerful and important what you believe is? Can you see that? That what you believe is incredibly important. And so for the next four weeks, I want to talk to us about what We believe. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about life? Really, deep down, what is it that is your conviction? And so I want to begin this morning by looking at, I believe God is good. It's so incredibly important that you have settled in your heart once and for all. Maybe you already believe this. Maybe you've never believed it. Maybe you're not sure quite what to believe about God. That by the end of this service today, that you would leave being absolutely convinced that God is good. God is lots of things, but you ought to know God is good. Of all the words that the Bible uses to describe what God is like, my favorite is to say that God is good. Let me give you some thoughts, right? And some scriptures to take down. I believe that God is good, firstly, because creation was good. The very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible, God is creating all of the universe. And God creates something and then says, it is good. Let there be light. And at the end of each day, God says, it is good. At the very end, he looks at all that he's created and he says, it's very good. God says, it's good. It's good. It's very good. God actually says that seven times in the first chapter of Genesis. Why? Why? because God is trying to help us to understand something about him. Like right off the bat, one of the things you have to understand about me is that I'm I'm good and I only do good. I'm not the author of evil. I don't do bad. I'm I'm a God who is good. Everything I do is good. And so God says, "It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good." And one more time, just for good measure in case you missed it, it's very good. 7 times God says it's good. And so one of the reasons why I believe that God is good is because creation is good. Do you know, in the Bible, the number seven is the number of divine completion. In other words, what God is saying is not just that I'm good, but that I am completely and totally good. And that's important that you begin to get your, not just your head around this, but your heart around this idea. Because some of you are wondering, is God really good? Some of you have had experiences in your life and they've caused you to doubt whether or not God is good. But it's not our experiences that inform our theology. It's our theology that helps us to inform our experiences, right? And so you need to know that God is good. Some of you perhaps have wondered, maybe God has got it in for me. That's not God. God is good. It's important that we get our hearts to this. I believe God is good because creation is good. Here's another reason why I believe God is good. God is good because he reveals himself to sinful people. In Exodus 33, Moses wants to see God's glory. And God says to him, Moses, you won't be able to behold my glory. It'll be too overwhelming for you. You'll die. He says, instead, what I'll do is I'll place you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass before you. And then as I remove my hand, you'll be able to see my back. And in Exodus 34, verse 6, this is what the scripture says. And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and, listen to this, abounding in goodness and truth. You know, when God reveals himself to Moses here in Exodus 34, that's not what I would have expected God to say. Because you think about the book of Exodus, right? In Exodus chapter 14, God miraculously delivers Israel out of Egypt. 400 years of slavery and bondage in Egypt. Their kids being killed in Egypt. Slaves building pyramids in Egypt for 400 years. And God miraculously delivers them. And in Exodus 14, God parts the Red Sea and 3 million people walk through on dry ground. How many people know if you were a part of that great miracle, wouldn't you for the rest of your days be incredibly grateful that God delivered you and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren from bondage, which is all you'd ever known, into freedom and into a promise? You would think that for the rest of your days, you'd be just so incredibly grateful, you would never turn in your own heart. That's Exodus chapter 14. In Exodus 15, Israel starts complaining. Just one chapter later. And they start complaining because they don't have any water to drink. And they start longing for Egypt. In Genesis chapter 16, they start complaining about the food. In Genesis chapter 17, they're back to complaining about the water again and starting to long to go back to, to Egypt. They start longing to be, a, be back in Egypt because at least they knew Egypt and that was familiar to them. But by Exodus 32, Moses is delayed in coming down the mountain and the people of Israel decide we couldn't be bothered waiting for God to do anything else. Let's build a golden calf and worship that. Let's, let's have a God of our own creation. That's Exodus 32. If I was God saying, Do you need to understand some things about me? It'd be if you keep on complaining, I'll bury you in this desert and no one will ever know that you survived. But not God. God delivers them out of Egypt. All they do is complain and long to go back. And when God reveals himself, how does he reveal himself? You've got to understand this about me I'm merciful, I'm gracious. I'm long-suffering. I'm abounding in goodness. I'm not going to treat you the way you deserve. I'm not going to treat you according to how good you are. Actually, out of the abundance of my own goodness is how I will treat you. I'll be merciful even when you aren't. I'll be honoring even when you're not. I'll be grateful even when you're complaining. God reveals himself as abounding in goodness. Notice when Jesus comes in the New Testament, he doesn't come waving his finger or lifting his fist. But when God introduces himself to sinful people, he does it not by pointing out our problems, or our faults, or our frailties. When God comes revealing himself, he doesn't come with a finger outstretched. He comes with arms wide open saying, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm long-suffering, I'm abounding in goodness. I believe that God is good because God's promises are good. Come on, the Bible is filled with good promises. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, For I know the thoughts, I know the plans I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Come on, I believe that God is good because God's promises and God's plans for us are good, not for evil, not to harm us, to give us hope and a future, to bring us peace and a bright outlook. I believe that God is good because the Holy Spirit is good. Psalm 143 verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Your Spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. I believe that God is good because the Holy Spirit is good. Here's another one. I believe that God is good because Jesus is heaven's goodwill. In Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is born, right? The Christmas story. How is it that the angels herald his coming? Luke chapter 2 and verse 14 says, Glory to God. It's the angels singing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. I believe that God is good because Jesus is literally heaven's goodwill sent to earth. That Jesus is God's goodwill towards humanity. That there's no better demonstration of God's goodness towards us than the fact that heaven spared nothing, not even his own son. To come in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, it says, "How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. If you want to know whether or not heaven's countenance towards you is good, because maybe there's been things in your life that have caused you to doubt, then you need to once and for all settle in your own heart that God is good, that Jesus himself is God's own good will towards us, that if you've ever doubted whether heaven has got it in for you or not, then all you need to do is look at who heaven sent to be reminded that God is good, his will towards you is good. Come on, that's important, because I have met people who believe that God gave them cancer to teach them a lesson. And it makes me wonder, what do you think God is like? God's not like that. God is a father. What father would punish their children with sickness? Not a very good one, right? And yet I've met people who believe that some of the things that have happened in their life is God trying to teach them a lesson, or it's because of a result of something that they did. And you need to settle in your own heart that that's actually not what the Bible tells us about God. That, that, that God doesn't discipline us in that way, right? And, and, and here's just another thought with that. If I'm disciplining my children, it's not very helpful if they don't know that it's discipline. Like what helps the discipline to be disciplined is that they know I'm disciplining them. But, but if they're wondering, is that, is that dad disciplining us or is he just angry? That's not very helpful discipline, is it? But, but if God is a good father... If God is, is good, then he doesn't discipline us with sickness. And when he does lovingly discipline us, it shouldn't be confusing. I believe that God is good because Jesus is heaven's goodwill. I believe that God's good because the end of all things is good. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. That to me sounds pretty good. And so this morning I'm giving you these scriptures, but it's because I want this to get into your heart, not just into your head. I want it to be in your heart, just to settle once and for all in your own life that God is good, that God's countenance towards you is good, that God doesn't come with a finger outstretched. He comes with arms outstretched, that God is good. My question is this, is that if God is so good, why is it that so many people believe something else about him? I mean, if God is so good and the Bible is so overwhelming, and there's many more scriptures that we could include, right? Then why is it that so many people believe something else about him? I actually think it's one of the the real tricks of the devil. Because the devil doesn't have to get you to stop believing in God. He just has to get you believing the wrong things about God. And that'd be far more powerful. He doesn't have to convince you that God doesn't exist at all. He just has to get you believing the wrong things about God. Because your expectation of God will be wrong. And then as a result, you'll begin to filter all of life's situations through that faulty belief. And then you'll begin to make decisions in line with what you believe rather than what is actually True. Think about the first interaction of the devil with people in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. This is what the Bible says. Is Adam and Eve when the serpent comes to them. Then the serpent said to the woman, to Eve, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Notice this, that the minute Eve begins to doubt, maybe God isn't that good. The devil doesn't come trying to disprove that God is real. He comes trying to cast aspersions on the character of God. Do you really think God's that good? God knows if you eat of that fruit, you'll become like him. God's trying to hold something out on you. See, he's not that good. He's not that nice. He's mean. In fact, he's not even here right now. I am, right? The devil isn't trying to convince Eve that God doesn't exist. He's just trying to cast aspersions on the character of God. And the minute Eve begins to doubt and how maybe God isn't that good. She becomes vulnerable to temptation. She starts behaving according to her faulty belief then rather than, than about what God's nature actually is, which is why this morning I've started. Of all the things we could start this belief series with, I'm starting with this because you've got to get this in your own heart. God is good. If you believe that God is good, then you can ex- start, then you can start to expect right things. If you believe that God isn't good, you'll start to expect a whole lot of things that aren't true, right? But if you believe that God is good, then you can begin to start expecting right things. Let me give you a few things you can start to expect. Here's the first one. Because I believe God is good, I look for good success. Because God is good, I look for good success. Psalm 21 verse 3 says, For you had." You meet him with the blessings of goodness, you set down a crown of pure gold upon his head. That because I believe God is good, I'm actually looking for good success. Some people are always looking for things to go wrong, but if you believe that God is good, why would your expectation be for things to go wrong? Right? There might be some things that do go wrong, but my expectation is I'm not looking for the things to go wrong, I'm looking for the things to go right. I mean, God's good and his goodness is extended towards me. And so I'm looking for God's favor. I'm not looking for things to go wrong. If I believe that God is good, then you can start to look for God to meet you with good things. For you meet me with blessings of goodness, is what the psalmist said. That's the, I wake up in the morning and that's what I'm looking for. God, I'm looking for good success because I know you want to meet me. And you're not meeting me with a whole lot of problems. You're meeting me with the blessings of goodness. Who do you think God is? If he's a good God, then look for good success. Here's a second thought. Because I believe that God is good. I look for God's good hand upon me. Right? If he's a good God, right? Then I'm looking for God's good hand upon my life. Ezra rebuilt the temple in the Old Testament. I want you to see in the book of Ezra, this reference to God's good hand upon his life. Notice this. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 6 says this. This Ezra went from Babylon and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested. Why? Because the hand of the Lord his God was upon him. Verse 9. For on the the first of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem because the good hand of his God was upon him. Verse 28, thus I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord, my God, upon me. And I gathered leaders from all of Israel to go up with me. Ezra chapter 8 and verse 18, according to the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of insight. That Ezra actually has this burden to be able to rebuild the temple. And notice this, with his burden to rebuild the temple, the thing that he's most aware of is that God's hand is upon him, right? The good hand of God is upon me. I got favor with the king. Why? Because I'm good? No, but because the good hand of God was upon me. Uh, we, We got into this difficult situation and we needed a man of insight and they brought us a man of insight. Why? Because the good hand of God was upon me. If I believe that God is good, then I'm not looking for things to go wrong. No, I'm looking for good success, but I'm also looking for the good hand of God upon me. He's a good God. He wants to bless me. And so I'm not looking for the things to go wrong. They'll happen all on their own. I'm looking for the things that God wants to be able to put right. And I want to be a part of that answer. And so I look for the good hand of God. Some of you, when you go for a job interview, you want to be reminded of this sermon. Because when you go for that job interview, you ought to be thinking to yourself, man, if they have the wisdom to hire me, man, their business is going to be so blessed. I mean, if they have the wisdom and the insight to hire me, God's good hand is upon me. right? For Joseph, Pharaoh was blessed as a result of Joseph's life why because Pharaoh was good no because Pharaoh was smart enough to be able to realize there's something special on this young man's life and so I know he's only 30 but I'm going to promote him to being in charge of all of of all of Egypt because there's something on this young man's life what is that it's the hand of God upon him why because he serves a good God and so when you go for a job interview you ought to sit there not not in a proud way right but in a God glorifying way say do you know what if they had the wisdom to hire me man this whole business is going to be blessed because God's good hand is upon me, right? And so remind yourself that God's good hand is upon you. Uh, Here's the third one. Because I believe that God is good, I look for God to honour his good name. Because I believe God's good, I look for God to honour his good name. Psalm 54 and verse 6 says, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good that even God's own name is good. And so I'm looking for God to be able to honor his good name. That that, that Sometimes I pray, God, God, I need you to come through. Because it's not my reputation that's on the line, Lord. It's your reputation on the line. And I need you to honor your good name. And you wouldn't want to blot your good name with Daniel Pappas. So so God, I need you to come through. You'll notice sometimes even when, when I pray, I'll pray and say, God, I pray that you would show yourself strong on our behalf. Why? Because Because God has a good name. And sometimes we feel weak or we feel inadequate. But God, he is strong where we are weak. And so I'm looking for God to honor his good name. He has a good name. And so God, I need to show yourself strong on my behalf. Why? Because you've got a good name and I'm looking for you to honor your good name. Here's the fourth one. Because I believe God is good, I look for miracles. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing. Listen to that. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk upright. Come on, the psalmist realizes that that God, he is a good God. Come on, his countenance towards you is good. Jesus is God's goodwill. Come on, his hand of goodness is upon you. He, he's got a good name. He'll honor his good name. But it also encourages me, I can look for miracles. Why? Because God will withhold no good thing from those who walk upright. Psalm 103 verse 5 says, who satisfies, talking about God, begins by saying, let's praise God. It's one of the scriptures we were using during, during the series we were doing on worship. And it concludes this way, who satisfies your mouth with Good things, not evil things, not harmful things, not things to teach you a lesson. No, 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 with good things. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 11 says this, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do you know, in my life, I have found that the times that I least feel like praying are generally the times that I most need to. Can I tell you something else that I've learned in this journey of faith? Is that God moves in direct proportion to my expectation. Because God is not moved by need. God is moved by faith. And faith is always expressed first as an expectation. That's why what you believe is so important. Because if you believe the wrong things, you'll expect the wrong things. You'll go after the wrong things. You'll be anticipating the wrong things. But, but if you believe actually what the Scripture says, that God is good, then it'll begin to change even your own expectations. I've found that to be true in my life, that God moves in direct proportion to my expectation. That, that there have been times where I've believed God for very little and it seemed like very little has happened. And there's been other times where, where I've audaciously believed God for a lot and a lot has happened. And then if I'm to be really honest, there's been times where I've believed God for nothing. And I've tried to do it myself. And I've found that God's able to do very little based off my own expectation. And so it's so incredibly important that because God is good, I look for miracles. Why? Because even for us, right, as fathers and as parents, we've got great desires for our kids, right? But by comparison to how good God is, we look evil by comparison to God. And so Jesus says... If you, as earthly fathers, being evil, can give good gifts to your kids, how much more God who's in heaven, who gives good things to those who ask? What are you asking of God? What are you believing of God? What are you believing about him? According to your faith, let it be unto you. That's what the scripture says. Because I believe that God is good, I look out for the good of others. This is really important. Because I believe God is good, I look out for the good of others. Numbers chapter 10 and verse 29 says this, Now Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out from the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and, and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. That Moses goes to this man who's not even an Israelite, it's not even a part of God's family, He's a pagan by all senses of the word. And yet Moses says, come with us. Come on, come with us and we'll treat you well. For the Lord has promised good things to Israel. Because God is looking after us, we can look after you. This is incredibly important. Because I believe God is good, I look out for the good of others. I believe that God has been good, for, good to me. And as a result of the fact that God's been good to me, I can begin to concentrate on being good to you. You know, a lot of people can't concentrate on being good to others. They're hoping that others will be good to them. But they have no revelation that actually God has been good to me. When you have a revelation that God is good and God has been good to me, it begins to free you so you don't have to worry about you. You can start to worry about others, right? But when you have a revelation that God has been good to me, that God will look after me, that God will give me good success, that God will provide all of my needs, that God has his good hand of good things on my life, that God's going to give me miracles. So I'm not looking for you to meet my needs. I'm actually looking for how I can serve you. Because God's looking after me, I can focus on looking after you. When you get that in a church, when you get in a church people who honestly believe that God is good, then you find a church that's generous. Then you find a church that serves. Then you find a church that constantly comes up with creative ideas to help the community and to look out for those in distress. Why? Because we believe that God is looking after us. And so in turn, let me look after you. Here's the sixth one. Because I believe that God is good, I'm looking for good in spite of my bad. I'm looking for good in spite of my bad. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Verse six says, therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stiff-necked people. You go down to verse 24. You've been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. Moses points out, hey, just to be aware, we're going into the promised land and, 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 and God's been very, very good. But, but just so you don't confuse it, it's not because of any of you. It's because of Him, right? Because you were stiff-necked from the moment I knew you. You've been rebellious since the day we met, right? But God, He's good to you. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this land, this good land to possess because of your righteousness. You're a stiff-necked people. You've been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. God's not giving you the land because you're good, but because He is good. Psalm 145 verse 9, The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all His... Works. That's important. Why? Because you need to understand that the performance of Daniel Pappas does not alter the person of Jesus. God doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. He treats me according to his son. Right? It's not because I'm good. It's because he is good. Come on, some of you believe that you only ever look for good when you've been good. No, no, no. Don't just look for good when you've been good. Look for good when you've been good, but look for good especially when you've been bad. Why? Because my behavior and my performance and my goodness doesn't change the nature of God. I'm actually not that powerful in the scheme of things. Like he's the God who spoke and holds the universe in his hand. Little me doesn't change the nature of God according to my performance, right? And so, and so I need to not only look for God's goodness When I've done things that are good, but I can look for God's goodness, especially when I haven't been. Why? Because my performance doesn't change his nature. Isn't that what Paul says in Romans 5 verse 20? That where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Here's the seventh one. I've got 52 of these to go. I'm just kidding. The worship team's about to come back. Because I believe that God is good, I look for good in the midst of my trouble. Psalm 23. Come on, that famous psalm that David wrote. Psalm 23, verses 5 and 6 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does David say? Come on, David had been surrounded by some enemies. He'd had people trying to kill him. He'd had the king of Israel tormented by an evil spirit trying to take him out. And David says, you know, I've been surrounded by enemies, but this I have learnt, not to focus on them, but to focus on him. That God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Which means if there's like things happening around about me, don't look for the enemies, look for the table. Because somewhere here, God set up this massive banquet. And if I can find that table, I'm going to sit down and put the napkin in and get my cutlery out and be like, hey, guys, (laughs) well, I enjoy a nice nine-grained marbled steak, right? David says, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which means if you're going through difficulty, that if you're in the midst of trouble, if I believe that God's good, then I look for good in the midst of my trouble. Nahum 1 verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. What's your stronghold in a day of trouble? Your stronghold in the day of trouble is believing God is good. And nothing about this situation or circumstance is going to change my belief about God. Right? When you hold on to that, then even in the midst of trouble, you can see the goodness of God. But the problem is, is when you start to allow circumstances to begin to change what you really believe on the inside, you begin to act according to those new beliefs and you find yourself in a totally different place. But when you start to doubt the goodness of God in the midst of your trouble, then you're likely to do things that you'll greatly regret. But, But I believe that God is good. And so I'm going to hold on to that conviction, whether high waters rise or help comes in my direction, I'm holding on to the fact that God is good. Come on, think there's there's a number of biblical examples we could use for this, but think of the life of Joseph right? In, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 20, Joseph, who's sold by his brothers into slavery, and then ends up as a result of that. His father thinks that he's dead. Then he has Potiphar's wife try and sleep with him, and he gets thrown into prison wrongfully, and he's been upstanding. He's done nothing wrong. He, he, he interprets the dreams of two guys. Then they forget about him. His whole life has been disappointments, but he's been holding on to the fact that God's good. And so he had to hold on to that that conviction for 13 years and never stop believing in it. But in Genesis 50 verse 20, because he held on to the fact that God is good, that when his brothers finally come back and they don't recognize him, this is what he says to them. He says, you meant it for evil, but God has used it for good. Come on, you meant those things to be able to harm me, but God used them for good. There was a whole lot of things that went wrong and there would have been plenty of opportunities for Joseph to throw his hands in the air and say, man, maybe that dream wasn't good. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe I totally misunderstood this whole thing. There would have been plenty of opportunities for for Joseph to abandon his faith and start to believe something else about God, but he didn't. And so at the very end of the story, he's able to look his brothers in the eye and say, do you know what? You meant it for evil, but it never changed the conviction in my heart that God's good which is why I can confidently say to you, you meant it for evil. But God, he's so good, he's even used that for good. Come on, I believe that God is good. As our worship team comes back this morning, what is it that you believe about God? Maybe there might be a whole host of things that you believe about God. But one of the things you ought to believe deep down in your own heart, in your own soul, is that God is good? Maybe you've come to church this morning and maybe you've never heard someone talk about God so much. This is the most you've heard anyone talk about God. And maybe you're not quite sure what to believe about God. Can I encourage you? If there's one thing you ought to leave today believing, believe that God's good. Just start there. That's been true of my experience. It's true of what the Bible says about God. That God is good. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I'd love to pray for us before we conclude today. I realize this is so important because here's the truth. What you believe about God ultimately determines how you relate to him. If you believe that God is angry, then why would you ever want to have a relationship with a God like that? If you believe that God is distant and uncaring, why would anyone want to have a relationship with a God like that? But if you believe that God's good, if you believe that God is, as the Bible says, good and loving and merciful and gracious, how much does that change? Even your own expectation of what a relationship with God would look like. A number of years ago, I was, I was uh, doing... a a Christian studies class, like an RI class, but with high school students. Lots of the students in the class had no faith at all and never been to church. And, and so it was the very first lesson for that year with these grade 10 students. I sat them all down. I said, here's what we're going to do for our first lesson. Before we talk about God, I'd love to know what it is you believe about God. So I'm going to give each of you a blank canvas. And I want you to draw or paint what it is you believe God is like. And then we can start from there. And then if you're confident, you can come up and share with some of the class why you painted or drew what you drew. It was a whole lesson. I'll never forget it because I still remember some of the different pictures that people drew. I remember for one person who'd recently said yes to Jesus, they they drew a picture of of themselves on a swing and and this God-like character pushing them. And they said, when I think of God, I think of God as a father who who looks after his children and would push them on a swing, that, that he loves us another young guy drew a picture of a rainbow. He said, I, I don't really know many Bible stories, but, but I do remember that one about Noah and the, and the flood and, and, the, and, the, and the rainbow reminds us that God keeps his promises. So, so he's trustworthy. Different kids share different things about what they'd drawn. But at the end of it, there was one young guy who came up, he submitted his, his paper last. And when, he, when I opened it, he'd folded it up so it couldn't be seen. When I opened it, he'd drawn, it was clearly the planet. And you could tell because of sort of water parts and earth parts and you could make out that that was Australia and all the other land masses were in green, but that part was in red. And that was sort of in one corner of the picture. That was kind of small, but the bigger part of the picture was the front corner, which was a control panel. And God with a big gray beard and squinting and angry eyes. And he was pressing the buttons on the control panel. And so I asked him, like, what's the the picture? Why did you draw that? He said, well, when I think of God, I think of the fact that he's, he's angry and he's upstairs in heaven pulling levers and pressing buttons. I said, that's the, that's the earth there, right? Like that's, that's Africa and that's, that's supposed to be America, right? That's what that part is. There. And that part's Australia, but it's red. Why is it red? It's because I live there. I said, well, why would that change the whole color of the country? Well, what I didn't realize, what this young guy began to share with me, is that he had spent most nights, the school hadn't been aware of it, but he'd spent most nights living on the street because his home life had been so difficult. He would rather spend the night living rough and sleeping down at the beach or in some of the drains than actually being at home. It was, he felt it was safer to not be at home. And so he'd come along to the school and some of his friends were Christians and, and he had said, God can't be good. God can't be loving because if God was loving, why would I be born into the family that I'm born into? A whole lot happened in that young man's life. More than I have time to be able to share with you at the end of the service. But but here's the point. Up until that moment in his life, he wanted to have nothing to do with God. Why? Because of actually what he believed about God. What you believe about God ultimately determines, right? Your expectation of God totally frames the kind of relationship you have with God. And so you've got to settle in your own heart. God is He's good. He's good. He's not far and distant. He's not angry and aloof. He's full of mercy and kindness and goodness. He doesn't come to us with a finger outstretched. He comes to us with arms outstretched. And so with just every head bowed and every eye closed before we conclude this morning, I want to ask every person who's here this morning just one question. I believe it's the most important question a person can ever be asked. I want to ask you this morning, are you right with God? I don't mean do you believe in God, I don't mean were you christened as a child. I don't mean do you pray sometimes. What what I really mean is this. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you stopped and you asked for God's forgiveness and you invited Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life? You might be in this room today and maybe you've never had a moment like that. Maybe you've been to church before, but there's never been a moment in your life when you stopped and you asked for God's forgiveness, and you invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. In just a moment, if that's you, I'm going to ask you just to lift up your hand. I'll see it and acknowledge it, and then you can put it down again. But you're saying, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but would you pray with me? There might be other people who are in this room today, and you'd say, Do you know what, Daniel, if I was to be honest, I prayed a prayer like that a long time ago, but I've walked away from God. Maybe some things happened. Maybe some difficulties happened. Maybe you started believing some things about God that aren't true. But for whatever reason, you've walked your own way. And today you realize I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. Here's the truth. We don't need anyone to point out to us when we're not right with God. We kind of instinctively know it in our own hearts, don't we? And so again, if that's you, today you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you just to lift up your hand. I'll see it, acknowledge it, and then you can put it down again. But you just saying, Daniel, that's me. Include me in this prayer today. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you want to say yes to Jesus this morning. Would you just right now lift your hand? I see your hand right up there in the back. Somebody else here this morning say, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but would you pray with me? And would you include me in this prayer today? Just lift your hand up nice and high. I'll see it. I'll acknowledge it. And then you put it down. Thank you so much. I see your hand today there as well. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to know who am I praying with this morning? who would say, Daniel, that's me. I'm not right with God, but I want to be. You don't have to leave this room doubting. You can know. Is there one more person who'd say, wow, I see your hand, sir. You're worth waiting for today. Here's what we're going to do. With those three people who've lifted their hands this morning, and maybe you were just about to raise your hand and haven't yet, but you can still be included in this. We're going to pray a simple prayer. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, that in that moment you shall be saved. In that moment, you start a relationship with God. The Bible says it's as simple as that. It's as simple as praying a prayer. And I don't know whether you've ever prayed before, but to make this really simple, I'm going to pray the first part of this prayer. I'm going to get us all to repeat it after me with those that have lifted their hands today. And for you who have lifted your hands, we're going to believe that's exactly what's going to happen in your life today. That as you both believe this in your heart, but confess it with your mouth that in this moment, you would start that relationship with God. Church, would you help us pray? Pray this out loud. Pray, Dear Jesus, I come to you this morning and I realize that I need you. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all of my mistakes. Jesus, wash my heart completely clean. Jesus, I thank you that you love me, that you proved it when you died on the cross for my sin. Jesus, from this morning on, I want to live for You. I want to be a Christian. Fill me with Your Holy Spirit and change my life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, Have a blessed day and until next time, bless you.